0: the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things the English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll have a look back at the international break with two wins for England. The Premier League's back with some decent-looking games, including Merseyside Derby and Chelsea Arsenal. We'll have an introduction to the Pyramid Pod Cup, and we'll preview some of the other key games across the EFL. Laurie will talk us through Yeovil's win versus Southend in the FA Cup and preview their fixture at Worthing, and we'll finish with the Pyramid Pod treble. I'm your host, Alex Murphy, and once again, I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and Tom Gallagher. Uh, boy, so England obviously had a friendly with Australia, uh, not much much to write home about with that one one Um, but a, a better result in the qualifiers against Italy. Laurie, what do you think of England's
1: display? Yeah, very good, particularly second half. Um, I think me and Tomo probably say similar things, so we'll get Tomo's thoughts on the, on it in a moment. But we're qualified for Euro 2024 now, so I'll just give you an outlook on how I see things for England. All right? Even in chaps, by the way, and um, hello to all of our listeners all over the world. It's good to be back. That was a long international break. (laughs) I was just looking at the odds for the Euros. Um, And England are favourites, right? And for the last few tournaments, which we've done quite well in, we've normally been like second, third or fourth favourites, right? But we're favourites for next year. And I think there's three reasons for that, right? Right. I think, firstly, the competing nations aren't quite as good as a rule collectively as they have been in tournaments gone by recently and certainly before that. Secondly, we've had six or seven years of Gareth Southgate now, that continuity going through the team. We've had a quarterfinal, a semifinal and a final, not in that order, but there's a train of thought to suggest that the natural progression will be for us to win a tournament. And the third one, and probably most compelling reason to be positive as an England fan at the moment, is I think in the last few tournaments, we've had one of the very best players in the world in Harry Kane. Can't speak highly enough of him. One of the best strikers we've had probably ever. But going into Euro 2024, we've got two of the best players in the world in Harry Kane and Jude Bellingham. And I think by the time the season comes to a close and we're leading into Germany 24. Jude Bellingham, there's a very good chance that he could be widely regarded as the best player in the world. And then you think back to the final of Euro 2020, we lose on penalties. We draw the game, lose on penalties to Italy. We're that close to winning a major tournament. That was without Jude Bellingham. Sprinkle in his generational talent, dynamism, charisma, leadership, all-round quality into that already good and progressive England team. And I think that makes us as an unstoppable force as possible within knockout tournament format. So what I was going to go on to say is we're favourites and I'm going to make an unreserved and unsolicited prediction that England are going to win the European Championships in Germany's backyard next year. And how good does that sound?
2: <laughs> Love it. Tombo? Yeah. Can't can't add anything to that, really, can I? That was a rousing, a nice rousing speech from Lauro. Um, good to be back. Um, let me just put a couple of uh what shall I say, a couple of breaks on that car, Lauro. And go he goes by the name of Killian Mbappe because did you see his goal against Netherlands? Absolutely world class. And to be fair, the French. Are going to be the team to beat. I I would I would put the French above England when it comes to Euro twenty twenty four. So hopefully we we avoid them until the final, and hopefully they get knocked out by Switzerland like they did last time or something silly like that. Um, yeah. Look, Bellingham, he's twenty years old and he's making playing for England and playing for Real Madrid look like you're playing in the year elevens match against year nines. It's like he looks. It's just I know there's no point in me talking about him really because everyone said he he reminds me of a 18-year-old, 19-year-old Wayne Rooney, who broke onto the the sort of the first team scene and immediately was the best player on the pitch. I can't think of in my lifetime, I think Owen was probably a little bit before in the sense of when he was when I was about six or seven years old. But yeah, in my lifetime, Rooney when he broke on to the scene in, I think, 2003 and four, he was immediately the best player on the pitch. And Drew Bellingham seems to be as good as that. And um, it's exciting times, really, isn't it? The only thing I will say is international football is so reliant on, basically, the fitness of the players. And and if, say, Luke Shaw can get back fit and fly in for United, then it's all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, even better and if and John Stones has to stay fit because oh and I like and I, do you know what I've I've really liked Mark Gahey's performances the last couple of games. He's looked assured and he's progressing well at Palace, so potentially he could come in for Maguire, who might not play much football at United. We've all we've all spoke about him before. Um hey, I do agree with you. I think we've got a great chance for it, and I just think maybe a, a note of caution, because I think France have got a great team, Portugal got a great team, Spain are always decent, even if they haven't like they're not sort of firing up front. So it still be tough.
1: I agree, it's still be tough. They're still good teams. I'm not saying that. I just think as a rule, we've got better. And I I personally think that a lot of the sides are slightly weaker than maybe they have been before. But it's a really good point about the fitness. Because if you think about semi-final in Russia, final the Euros, okay, quarter final in Qatar every single tournament, I don't remember us having a bad injury. We've not gone in without Kane. We've not gone in without Stones. We've not gone in without Rice or whoever the centre mid is at the time. And if you think back to the so-called golden generations and you always see the team photos, how did we lose with this team? And it's like skulls, Lampard, Gerald, Owen, Rooney. But Rooney, I remember Owen missing tournaments or going in with injuries. I remember Rooney having an awful metatarsal and sort of getting rushed back for one of them. We got sent off in another one. So we've had our fair share of bad luck in the past. And I think Southgate, one of the positives for him, and maybe one of the rubs of the green that he has got is that we haven't had a bad injury. And I just hope that doesn't come because if we got an injury to Kane next season uh, in the summer, an injury to Bellingham, probably rice and stones in that category as well. Those four in particular, um, it completely changes the landscape for us. So hopefully we can keep everyone fit. We've got Kane playing in Germany. And if I was a German player in the Bundesliga at the end of next season, I'd be kicking bet you know seven bales out of him every game <laughs> trying to get him out of the tournament. So we've got that bit to now. Bellingham
0: in the liga. Spanish exactly. So we need end. to
1: get we need to get that. I mean, Bellingham, I don't I mean, I think you could, you know, roll over his legs with a steamroller and he'd still be the best one on the pitch next week. I don't think he's touchable. But, you know, the likes of Kane, you know, into his thirties now, Stones and Rice, people like that, we need to keep them fit. But if we do. I really, really fancy us. Of course, it's not a foregone conclusion. Another quick point as well. That was Italy that we beat 3-1 on Wednesday. Do you know what I mean? We, we don't normally... Those sort of teams that have been our kryptonite in the past. I know, okay, it wasn't within a major tournament. It was in the qualifiers. But first half, we weren't that good, I didn't think. Second half, we just took it up a gear. And the quality of Jude Bellingham and Harry Kane in particular. Maybe we we'll, we'll wax, wax lyrical about Jude Bellingham, rightly so. But Harry Kane's so good now... We don't really feel the need to speak about him. But that second goal, Jill Scott made a good point in the punditry. She said the start of that move, Harry Kane was like 40-60 to get to that ball. The on-rushing defender was the clear favourite. He got there, went past him, brushed him off. And then one thing that Harry Kane always seems to be able to do is he just finished it into the middle of the goal. Doesn't go in the corner, just straight yeah. past Donna Donnarumma, one of the best keepers in the world, into the middle of the goal. If anyone else tries doing that, they look silly, but it always goes in for him and that just shows his quality. So... Yeah, we've got some brilliant players and a great chance going into next season, uh, next tournament. And I'm very, very excited, as you can probably tell.
2: Yeah, the the one thing that this this international break, for me anyway, um, for what my opinion's worth, is is it cemented my feeling that Bellingham's our 10 and that Foden... Because I used to think that Declan Rice and Bellingham would be our two sort of double pivots and then Foden could play in the 10. Um but now I just think, nah, just just let Kane and Bellingham be the best 10 and 9 in the world. And then you've got Rashford and Sacco, Rashford and Foes on either side, or Grealish to come in. Obviously, that those four offer different qualities at different periods in the tournament. And then the, two, the position, really, that I'm a little bit sort of sceptical about would be the one alongside Rice, and which, and which I'd like to... My sort of hope for Calvin Phillips is that he moves on from City and then gets a decent Premier League club, gets a run of games. And then all of a sudden it's like, cause Calvin Phillips, a fit firing Calvin Phillips is really, is a really good player to have alongside Declan Rice. So that's the one I'm thinking, but yeah. And then that front, what is that one? Two, that's a front six. That's almost untouchable then. That's the best in Europe. And then, so yeah, that's, that's my one hope is Calvin Phillips gets a, get gets a, um, Gets a new club in January, potentially Newcastle. And there's no normally a name that goes
0: to the tournament, isn't there? Who's young? Who's not expected to go? So there's nothing to say that someone might not light up the prem between now and the summer. Uh, English midfielder that's no one's currently talking about. So yeah, like might... like um, Job Bellingham. Yeah, yeah. Real Madrid are <laughs> on about signing him already, aren't they? Just like let's just take a punt on him and see if we can save ourselves. Spending ninety in a few years, so yeah, Kobe Mino, there you go, he'll go to the Euros. <laughs> um, and Tomo, uh, selfishly from United point of view, Rashford grabbed a goal. What was his display like? Was it like a
2: game of two halves? Was he good throughout? What What did he look like? Looked a good goal. Yeah, oh, it was a great goal. I was I was sat there at the te- at the watching it, basically going, pass it, pass it, pass it, pass it. Oh, great goal! It was one of those Sunday League ones, and um. I don't know. He looked a little bit freer from the Manchester United or from the weight of Manchester United, and it did. It, and you know, he scored. He scored eight goals in his last nine England games now, or nine England starts. So he always does well for England, and and he's he yeah. He looked a lot more confident. I'm hoping he takes that sort of confidence into Sheffield United this weekend.
1: Go on, Laura. Do you know why that is, mate? It's because when he plays for England, he's playing with Jude Bellingham, Harry Kane and or Foden. And when he plays for United, he's playing with Scott McTominay, Anthony and Pellestri. So there's a slight difference there. I mean, the, I mean, we don't need to go on about Bellingham, but the run that Bellingham makes off the ball to take the defenders away and open up that space for Rashford so he didn't have to pass it. I mean, what a finish, by the way, from Rashford. Donnarumma was rooted to the spot. It looked like fast forward when it went into the net. Hell of a goal. But I think there's a difference in the calibre of players that he's playing with that maybe adds to his performance for England as opposed to Man United.
2: Yeah, do you know what, as well, that I'm just thinking there in my head, like, gone are the days when when we were younger Murph, we'd always be like, oh, the calibre of, calibre of player at Man United is so much better than England. Yeah. And now, and now it's, like, completely switched reverse, where, like, well, yeah, Rashford's playing with the best strike in the world, the best number 10 in the world, Declan Rice, one of the best sixes in the world. Do you know what I mean? It's, and United... Yeah, I mean...
0: Loro has picked Anthony, Palestri and McTominay as the three players there. If you said Bruno and Hoyland and, yeah, I mean, I suppose it is out there. Well, Hoyland or Kane. Yeah, I <laughs> no, could, have, I could no. have said that and I think the point remains. No, I'm not saying Hoyland or Kane, but Bloodhound's got a bit about him, and not he?
1: another thing, though, is for Man United, Rashford has very much been the tallies man of the last couple of years and there's the weight of the world on him. When you watch England, across that front four, Rashford's probably got the least pressure on him. You're probably yeah, expecting the move out of him. So he can be freer. That's probably the right word. And it, and, it, you know, he was very, very effective, certainly in that move and finishing off um, that goal against Italy.
0: Well, England qualified. Um, be a great summer over in Germany. Favourites for a tournament for, pro- well, must be decades since we've last been favourites for a tournament. Um, so good to see that. And hopefully it is coming home. But thank God international break's over. I'm not going to touch on the Australia-friendly uh, Um England won. Boring night at Wembley, but got, got the job done. But we can move on now to the weekend action and the Premier League. I'm going to start um, with the Merseyside derby. So fourth place Liverpool take on 16th place Everton at lunchtime on Saturday. I think, Tomo, I've read a stat that Liverpool have had like 14 half 12 kickoffs post-international break to, and then the next biggest is like Tottenham with six or something like that so Klopp goes absolutely irate about the fact that he has all these lads coming back from like South America or wherever they come from and they're straight back into a half 12 kickoff and I think that that sort of travel from international break most of the Liverpool squad being away makes that a slightly closer fixture than what it necessarily looks on paper
2: nah I don't agree with that um yeah <laughs> well I think we made this last point I think the last game was the Wolves game and um, they went and won that game 3-1. But, yeah, Everton have got a terrible record at Anfield. Um, and they've got a terrible record against Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool have only lost one of their last 25 games against Everton. And and unfortunately for the Everton fans, the only game um, that Liverpool lost was a 2-0 home defeat behind closed doors during the pandemic. So even Everton fans have have not seen a win. For twenty five games, it's a, it's a, it's a nightmare fixture for them. I don't see, and it's at Anfield, so you expect Liverpool to win. Um, Salah's been banging form, isn't he? He's got twenty seven goal involvements in his last twenty three games, um, and he scored or assisted in twelve consecutive league games at Anfield. So, put a bet on that because that's basically a banker. Um, I don't see anything other than Liverpool win. I am sorry to burst your bubble, Snorky.
1: I saw a Premier League table in the week on Twitter, and it was what the Premier League table would look like if expected goals were goals. And Everton were, I think, fifth. So if there's ever an illustration as to how much bullshit XG is, it's that. <laughs> because where are they? About 17th. Did um, you hear
2: did you hear Sean Deich's um comments about XG after the last game? He was like, he was like, finally our XG counts for something. <laughs> like he yeah, well, if
1: I was him, I'd be hanging on the on the coattails of that as well because you know he needs to he needs to do something quick at that football club to make sure that he's still there for long. But uh, uh, the Merseyside derby, I just it's always a fixture that throws up stories and memories and moments in football. I'm surprised that Everton haven't won it in so long because I always feel like it's quite a good game. Like I think about that like, Andy Johnson for some reason scoring a third in a three 0 win and gesturing to the crowd. You think about Pickford injuring Van Dyke, Suarez. I remember scoring a really good free kick one year. A uh, rigi last minute, maybe in the title winning season for them. So normally there's a story that comes from the game. But, I, you know, I'm with you. I can't really make a case for, for Everton this weekend um, other than the stars are lining and a puncher's chance because Liverpool are in good form. Um, they've won my trust back. I think they're a good team. I think it's about time we said that as we get on into November. And I actually predict a little bit of a thump in there, probably like 4-0 or something like that. So, yeah. Liverpool too good at Anfield, I think, for Everton this weekend.
0: Uh, McAllister travelling back from Argentina, Nunez back from Uruguay, uh, Diaz back from Colombia. Uh, I don't know if Salah's been away on international duty, but if he has back from Egypt, 1-0 Everton, Calvert-Lewin.
2: Private jet travel, like, the works, like, they'll be fine. Like, it's, it's not like us traveling easy jet. Do you know what I mean? No, but Mac- yeah, they're not hung <laughs> over at
1: an airport, grabbing a slice of pizza, waiting five hours for fucking jet two.
2: Yeah, I know.
0: I know. It's I know he's not coming back from Faro after a stag. But <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that so? Argentina played Wednesday. Let's say when Wednesday night last night or the night before. McAllister then has then got to fly back from Argentina, get back onto Merseyside. When's he going to train before a
2: Saturday? Right, well, he, won't, he, won't, he won't train. They'll play Curtis Jones then. They'll still win. They're at Anfield. I was going to they say, win.
1: McAllister might as well stay in Argentina for all Jürgen Klopp cares because he's been fucking useless, I think, this season. I wouldn't want him playing anywhere. All <laughs> right. Captain Chaos back from
0: Uruguay. Scored against Brazil. He's got to come back. Bit of, bit of jet lag from that.
2: Suddenly, no training session. Darwin Dar- he- Dar- Nune- Nunes got a goal and an assist in a 2-0 win for Uruguay against Brazil. Unbelievable! Uh, he'll be other side up of the planet, it. other side of the planet. No training, no no sort of little pep talk on how to deal with Tarkovsky and whoever else at the back for Everton at the minute. now nah. uh, do you know what? I would I would kind of half semi agree with your points if it was at, at Goodison, but because it's at Anfield, I just don't see it at all. Okay, right, we'll move on then.
0: Um, but I am going for Everton. We'll come back to this on Monday. Uh, next one, boys. So that's the 12.30 kickoff. The 5.30 kickoff that day, three Prem games on TV that day, which is a delight, is um, 11th place Chelsea hosts second place Arsenal. Chelsea just started to turn their form around um, and what was maybe I would consider as an easy three points for Arsenal now looks slightly trickier. Laura?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's an annoying one for them because a few weeks ago, Chelsea, it sounds ridiculous to say, but Chelsea was almost a bit of a gimme. They were that bad at turning their chances and possession into goals, but they've just turned a little corner recently and it's probably not the best place for Mikel Arteta to go. And they've just got their noses in front of Man City. They've been let off a drawing at Fulham early on in the season. They've got that sort of slice of luck beating um, Man City, the Etihad, and it's just about staying at least level or ahead of them. So if they can go to Chelsea and win on Saturday, that would be such a big step. To just not pulling away but just at least keeping up and being within the vicinity of Man City um, or at the moment staying ahead of them which is what they need to do if they go and lose at Stamford Bridge against okay a Chelsea team that have turned a bit of a corner but aren't the best it sort of undoes all of that work at City and leaves the door open for them just to gallop ahead of them again so big game that for Arsenal Um, obviously Chelsea are a mid-table side now so they'll probably be happy with a point but I'm hoping to see Mikel Arteta pick up three points for the sake of the title race. Hello.
2: Yeah, do, you, do you want to hear a little weird stat about or on that game is that Mauricio Pochettino has never lost a home Premier League game to Arsenal. Um, and he's, he's played six times. I think three for three for Southampton and three for Tottenham. And he's won three and drawn three. Um, and I, my prediction for that game is it will be a draw. Um, just an absolute stinking nil nil, sort of proper international br- return from international break. Because I know, like, I completely agree with you, Laura. I think Chelsea will be happy with a nil nil, and so will Pochettino. Um, so you might see sort of five at the back vibes from them. Um, yeah, I don't really predict a good game there, to be honest.
1: No, I don't think, like, I don't think Arsenal, in years gone by, a point at Stanford Bridge would be good for Arsenal, but. Chelsea aren't one of those teams, like, you've got to save those maybe point away from homes at, like, your Brightons and places like that. You can't really do it at Chelsea now. They're one of the teams that you've got to look at if you are winning the league, is going and getting three points. So, it'd be interesting to see how that game shapes up, and be interesting to see the levels between them. Do Arsenal, you know, make a statement and show that they're clearly head and shoulders above Chelsea? as it looks like they are over the last couple of years? Or is it, you know, a classic at Stamford Bridge and a really tough game against Chelsea of old? So, I hope it it's not a stinking nil-nil, but I kind of get the same sort of vibes from that game as well, to be honest with you.
2: Yeah, do you know what, as well? I actually think Mikel Arteta, like, you know, I didn't really enjoy the game um, United versus Arsenal. and I didn't, obviously, We no one enjoyed the game City versus Arsenal. I think Arteta plays those games with the sort of, the handbrake on slightly with the idea of just like, he's not really asked if it's an entertaining game. He just wants to do whatever it takes to win. And I've, I've got, yeah. three, I've, that's, I've, yeah, that's why I'm sort of thinking it's gonna be a stinker, to be honest. And the key is there,
1: that's okay as long as you win. Yeah, and he's one both. If you rounds. end up on the wrong side of a one-nil, or if the um Garnacho girl counts against Man United, it's a completely different picture. So you need the rubber green doing that. So yeah. 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 You could be right though. I you know that game stinks a gravy to me as well, nil-nil.
0: <laughs> Just a little bit on um Availability for that game on and there's obviously long term absences for both sides that we know about, but there's quite a few questionable. So for Arsenal, it says questionable Saka, Saliba, and Trossard. Now, if Saka and Saliba were missing, that that changes Arsenal quite a bit, and I don't yeah. know if they they're both going to be in the starting lineup come Saturday evening, but they'd be two big misses for them.
2: Do you know what? That if Saka and Saliba are both fit for that game, that will remind me of like Sir Alex Ferguson's time at United where he would just get his players to sort of take two weeks off on the international break, pretend, well, not pretend you're injured, obviously rest your injury, and then as soon as you come back. Yeah. And I think if Saliba and Saka are both fit for that game, it will say that they are so fully focused on winning this title because just because they've got that mindset of like Arsenal first, Arsenal over everything, um, and that is kind of the the mentality that Arteta is building there. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. I actually, I think both will start.
1: I agree, and I think that's um, a massive compliment to Arteta that you're comparing him to the way that Fergie used to manage the international breaks. And I actually think, I think they'll both start tomorrow, um Saturday as well. But I think Saka was touch and go for the Man City game. And I think yeah. Arteta made a call to say, right, he's not quite right. Let's leave him out, and that gives me the excuse to say, do you remember after the game, he's like, no, no, he won't go to England, and England yeah. were like, no, no, he's in the squad, and he was like, no, he did play against City. He's injured. I reckon he's absolutely fine. I reckon he's had two weeks training at Arsenal, and he'll be re- ready to go.
2: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Thought Saka probably could have, could have played that City game. Yeah, good point. Do you
0: think, do you think Saka's got that right wing position for England nailed down? Enough to do that, like Foden played there, I think, against Italy. Do you, do you think he's completely nailed on for that starter, and so can do this kind of old, old thing that United players used to do? Was the position was so safe that you can miss kind of a international break?
2: Yeah, but I, yes. um, what, yeah, what, what I don't think we're saying that Saka's feigning injury. There's nothing like no. that. He's probably carrying a knock and or carrying a couple knocks here and there. Got a bit of an injury, and it's touch and go basically. And I think Arteta's sat him down and gone. Look, we need you here. And actually, long term wise for his fitness, it is probably best to have two weeks off. Yeah, true. Because if you if you play for England in those two games and then get a longer term injury, it sets you back even further. So, and I, I and I guarantee it would be the same with Saliba.
1: Yeah, yeah They they just manipulated the situation to their favor with Sacco, and it worked out because they ended up beating Man City without him. And then he's got two weeks to recover because he kept on coming off, didn't he, with a couple of knocks. And it just felt like he needed a rest. There was quite a lot of Arsenal fans on Twitter saying, why is he playing every single minute of every game? Um, but to answer your other question, yes, 100% Saka's nailed on for that right-hand side of, of England. And Phil Foden, although he's a really good player, I, I don't think he did anything against Italy to suggest that he'd be anywhere near competing for that spot started. Yeah. But great option to have. Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, and then just on Chelsea side for injury, Cole Palmer, Reese James, and that Axel uh De Sassi, um, who's obviously started well for them, they're all questionable as well. So a few little like points there. They probably all start in the strongest Chelsea side at the minute. If they uh if they're not available, then advantage Arsenal. But then if Saka and Saliba weren't then advantage Chelsea. So yeah, I think I think I'll probably sit with you boys withdraw with that one. But that'd be an intriguing game and looking forward to seeing the lineups so of that one. Uh, Another big game so third place Man City hosts sixth place Brighton Um, the only thing I'd say with City is they've got Stones back now who's obviously got some game time for England and importantly Rodri back into the side as well which seems to just transfer transform their their form Um, and a few question marks about Brighton so person personal view is quite a comfortable City
2: win Tomo any chances for Brighton? no i I think I agree with you i think um like if we think about it, I know city haven't been great lately, and they've lost three in a row but when when do you ever hear about city losing four in a row? I just can't see it and their their form at the Etihad is unbelievable. I think they've won the last twenty games at the Etihad um so and and i I know I said this in the before the last game. That I thought that they'd beat Arsenal comfortably with a Haaland brace, but I, I just think they'll beat Brighton comfortably, um, and Haaland will co- get a couple goals. Um, if he doesn't score on Saturday, it will be the first time in the Premier League that he's gone three games without scoring. So, um, which is mental, really, when you think of he's been he's been it the whole year. But yeah, yeah, I can't I can't like like you said, Rodri's back, Stones is getting fit. Um, so, yeah, I do predict a comfortable City win. If it was at the Amex, I would probably say something different. But because it's at the Etihad, yeah, City just boss it every time they're there.
1: Well, you just said it. It'll be the first time that they'd have lost four in a row in the Premier League or whatever in a long time. It'd be the first time that Erling Hadden hasn't scored in three games or whatever it is. I think there's quite a lot of pressure on this game for Man City. to. They've got Wadbury back in. They'll have a full complement of players. They need to go out and win this game. Must win. They can't let that gap start, upping and a narrative coming into oh are, you know are they sort of fading away a little bit this season? They're not going to go on and win every single game after Christmas every single year and put themselves under more and more pressure. And one of the probably one of the one teams you wouldn't want to play in that situation is Brighton. And I'm only playing devil's advocate here. I agree, City will be favourites and expect them to win the game. But I expect Pep Guardiola is looking at that fixture thinking, God, I wish that was Burnley at home. Do you know what I mean? I think they need three points on the board and they don't want to see Tottenham and Arsenal winning and them dropping points again and creating a little bit of a build-up of a narrative, um, a negative snowballing narrative um, that can affect them. So, Rodri back in, Harlan needs to score, three points needed, all the pressure on Man City. But I suppose at the end of the day, I'll probably have to agree with you that they'll, they should have too much Brighton, albeit not a walkover for me, yeah. Their their next uh league
0: game after that city is away at United um next weekend. So I know that United's forms um not great this season, but we obviously beat them last year. And we've even in our last decade where we've not been great at all, we've we've managed to get some good results against City, haven't we, over, over those years? So that's not a bank for them either. So, um yeah, I think Pep will, will probably need three points there. I'll tell you what would be interesting as well is where they've had international break and they've had three losses. You know, Pep sometimes gets in his own head a bit what he's done over the last fortnight and what he's devised to beat Brighton and what him and De have been thinking for the last couple of weeks. And if Deserby just is like, no, we're just going to go out and do Brighton and Pep tries to do something bloody ridiculous because he's had two weeks in his own head. Um, I- I'd be really interested to see how that game goes. But yeah, let- let's uh, let's all agree with a City win there then. Um, Tom, I just touched on United and we spoke briefly about Rashford, but the third televised game in the Prem uh, that day is 10th place United travel to 20th place Sheffield United, who've got a single point all season. I've seen that Casemiro is not going to be fit for the game after getting injured uh, for Brazil. Um, but surely United aren't going to slip up to bottom of the league. Yeah.
2: Uh... Oh, do you know, yeah, I know, yeah. that noise. Give me a stat that they never
0: lose against Sheffield United or something.
2: Yeah, well, okay, so I've got a good, a positive stat for United fan is that, or Man United fan, is that we've got a really good record lately against promoted teams. We've won our last nine games against promoted teams. Um, so enter Sheffield United and then they come and, nah, nah. My prediction is United win. I think it's going to be like a, another scrappy, close game where we just edge... Burnley away type vibes. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, just where the performance isn't great, but it goes off Hoyland's backside or or Fernandez scores a penalty or whatever. I just think United get the win. Sheffield United aren't very good, let's be honest. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm I'm thinking. I think United make it ten in a row against promoted teams. I think we win a scrappy game.
1: Yeah, I think that this international break's been brilliant for Man United because players like Rashford maybe in a little bit of a rut in their Premier League form, just gone away, played with, okay, like we've said, better players, got himself a goal, got his sort of stock into the credit and positive again. And now we can go and play Sheffield United for Man United. Uh, Yeah, go and play Sheffield United for Man United. Hosland scored in the week as well, um, albeit against San Marino, but your two sort of main attacking influences there, getting goals back in against probably the easiest away fixture in the league. I think all of those things in conjunction um, make for quite a pretty picture for United at the weekend. And I think it'll be a comfortable win. And I think we'll see Rashford score a couple. And hopefully this will kickstart um, this next period of Premier League games in good vein for him. But I think that international break's worked wonders for Man United and their key players.
0: I, I completely agree with you, Lauro. Bruno, you touched on Hoyland and um, Rashford there. Bruno does tend to always do it for Portugal anyway, but he scored and had a couple of assists while they are were- on. Yeah, I've seen that Amrabat was meant to be injured, but he's been in full training today. Uh, importantly, Regulon's back in full training as well. So we're not going to have to play Amrabat at left back or Lindelof at left back. So, um, yeah, I think Varane's had a bit of time to, he was sort of injured, then came back in. Um, if Maguire's got a play, he's gone away and had a couple of positive results with England. So I completely agree. It's been a um, a really, really positive international break. Uh, for United and I'm hoping that we do get the job done comfortably because we're never ever in a position in a game this season where we're just two goals up and um dictating the game it's always really really nervy and hopefully Onana's had a bit of time to just chill out and hopefully get a bit of confidence back as well so um I'll go with you boys as well then I'll go for United I'll go positive I'll say 3-0 United um and then move on to Champs League in the week and on to the Manchester Derby. Um, and then boys, just the other game I want to cover in the prem before I, I rattle through the rest of the fixtures is uh Villa versus West Ham, which I think is fifth v seventh. Um two sides who've made good starts. Um maybe international break come at the wrong time for Villa because they were flying, but um another another sort of decent-looking fixture. Lauro, thoughts on that one?
1: I don't really know. I- I'm not sure what um anal- <laughs> And a list to give on that game to be honest with you to me that stinks of like 7th v ninth, and they'll both finish within 7th and ninth this season two good sides I think Villa home advantage but West Ham difficult to play against you can easily see the Hammers getting a horrible set piece goal at the same time you could see Watkins continuing his form and those good players that they've got at Villa now combining to um give give themselves a um, another good win. I think they've won so many games in a row at Villa Park now, so difficult place for West Ham to go and that'll probably make David Moyes think, let's just not park the bus but play pragmatically and try and get a James Ward-Prowell special on the end or something. So, I'm not sure that's going to be the most tantalising Premier League game of the season and I'd probably go for like <clears throat> one all draw. Yeah. Don't that's a tough one to call. I'll just had I'll just a look at the head-to-head record
2: then and um, West Ham haven't lost to Aston Villa since in the Premier League since 2015. So they've gone 10 Premier League games unbeaten against Villa. So they've got a good record. Um and Villa have been really up and down this year, but and and because it's at Villa Park, I can I'm sort of swaying towards Villas, but that head to head record makes me think West Ham. So I'm just gonna go draw. Um, it's hard it's tough to call that one. Both teams have played well this year. Um Ollie Watkins obviously got the goal against Australia. That'll that'll do him a world of good. He's he's, he's banging form, so um yeah, that, that's a tough one to call. I'm gonna go draw.
0: I'm gonna go for a Villa Win 3 1. I think Watkins continue his good form, but I I hope that's a good fixture. That's the only offering for super Sunday because we've got a uh, three oh. games Saturday. Um so why yeah. is
2: that
1: then? Is that because of the rugby? Semi final war,
2: no, it's because Man, Man United and Burnley were originally scheduled for the two o'clock, but we're playing in the Champions League, I think, on Tuesday, so they've moved it to Saturday night, right? right. Um, yeah, Bed-ish. yeah, yeah, good, good
0: explanation. And then Villa West Ham can stay because they won't be till Thursday, will they? So that makes sense, but yeah, hopefully, that can be a barnstormer. Uh, if that's our only offering on Super Sunday Um, I'll just go through the rest of the fixtures, Um, Newcastle versus Palace Um, I've heard Tenali likes Palace at sixes Um, Brentford versus Burnley Uh, Forest versus Luton Bournemouth versus Wolves. And then we will actually cover on Monday's pod boys um, for Spurs fans who are listening, wondering why we're not talking about top of the table uh, as their Monday night football against Fulham. So we will cover that then. Um, And hopefully for them, they'd have seen city Arsenal, Liverpool drop some points so they can uh, open up a bit of a gap. Um, But yeah, we'll move on uh, to the championship. But first of all, we're going to introduce a bit of a new feature called the pyramid pod cup. So, one of our listeners has made a suggestion of this and we've spoke through the idea and, and quite like it. So we're going to start it off. Ultimately, um, boys, I think the rules that we're going to go for is that we start with a fixture and whichever team wins that game becomes the holders of the Pyramid Pod Cup. If they then win or draw their game, you retain, retain the cup. If you draw three in a row, however, it goes to the league below, uh, to the team that's in the same position as you. Um, And then the team wins the cup for the season and we'll obviously send them the inaugural Pyramid Pod Cup um, if they win or draw their last game of their season. But obviously the beauty of this is, is that we're going to do it across the League Cup, the FA Cup and Carabao Cup. So we should see a few shifts in leagues and hopefully if we get some cup sets, we'll see it in the lower leagues um, and we'll just see where it ends up at the end of the season. But the fixture we're going to start on and the first one in the championship uh, to discuss is we got some Friday night football uh, tomorrow, so that is uh, Rotherham hosting Ipswich. Obviously, Ipswich in great form in second place. Rotherham down in twenty-third, right near the bottom. So potentially looks like Ipswich will be the uh, first
1: team to hold the cup, but it is away at Rotherham. You know what's going to happen here, don't you? Go on. Ipswich are going to get drawn against Man City in the cup next week, and then <laughs> the the <laughs> inaugural pyramid podcast trophy is just going to be at the Etihad until the end of the season, and we've got to send it up to Pep to join the collection. They will
0: win. He said about the quadruple, didn't he? Maybe he will get his hands on the quadruple if he starts to class this as a major trophy. Um, I did do a bit of mapping, actually, to see where I think it could potentially go, but obviously it all depends on the fixtures, but I was trying to see where it might go to the Premier League or be able to drop down. Ipswich, if they hold it and then continue to hold it against Bristol City and then Plymouth. They've then got Fulham in the EFL Cup. Um, so maybe that could go up into the Prem there, but there'll obviously be FA Cup games that come up in a couple of cup sets. We might see it down in uh, the lower league. So yeah, we'll just keep tracking it. And obviously whoever's holding it will do a bit of coverage of their game. Teagat will come up with some stats and some a bit of an EFL corner on whoever's got it. And uh, yeah, we will keep tracking it, but... Let's see where we go with that. But I am fully expecting by closer play tomorrow for Ipswich to have their hands on that cup. But let's see if the Millers can come up with something. Just move on to some of the bigger games in the uh, rest of the championship, guys. So first place, Leicester, who've won six in a row, go to 12th place, Swansea, who've won four in a row. Um, Laura, I know we've obviously seen, we'll come on to Leeds. We're looking for the teams at the top, Ipswich, Leicester, to start dropping some points. Do you think... Four in a row, Swansea have got a chance at home to Leicester.
1: Yeah, well, if anyone has, it's them. Um, Very good manager, Michael Duff. um, Did very, very well at Cheltenham and then Barnsley. And I think I've said this before. He said the hardest thing when he went into Swansea was kind of reversing that drastic style that Russell Martin had there. And you can kind of see that playing out. They struggled at the start of the season. He rode his luck a little bit in terms of the sack race. But now they've won four in a row. So at home full of confidence against the Leicester side, you must be thinking we're gonna lose at some point. I know they have lost one this season, but for the main in the main they've been winning. Um I think that's a tricky fixture. And for the um gambling enthusiasts out there, which of which I am not, I think ten to three is pretty good. Did you
2: see what no, Duff sir. did you see what Duff said about Leicester? No, go on. Well shockingly, he said that he thinks they'll win the league, but he's also said that he thinks that they're better than Burnley last year already. Um, which probably tells you everything about that game. He's obviously what obviously with that statement, he's trying to put like take the pressure off his players and just say, look, you've got nothing to lose here. So good tactics from him, but obviously tells you how highly he rates Leicester as well. Um they do look ominous, don't they, Leicester, this season. Got a lot of quality in their in their squad. What what was Michael Duff doing last year, Laurie? Do you know?
1: Barnsley.
0: He lost in the playoff final to Sheffield Wednesday, so he was in League One last year. But thinks this Leicester side are better than the Burnley side of last year, who he didn't play. Yes, I think he's and in a far
1: far less competitive championship, I would say, without Leeds and Leicester and Southampton and even Ipswich, who have come up. So, yeah, a bit of a, um, a bit of a rudderless statement there. But like Tigal said, I like it when managers do that because it makes me think they're trying to. Gain an edge, and they actually think they've got a chance of winning. They're not just rolling over. He's trying to play some mind games there. So, um, yeah, fair play to him. Up the swans, Jack Army.
0: <laughs> um, Tomo, another fixture that uh, maybe wouldn't have been uh, one to talk about, but now it's quite a big fixture um, Michael Carrick versus Wayne Rooney, Middlesbrough versus Birmingham. Uh, Birmingham obviously decided to sack their manager. Uh, pre-international break and have brought in Rooney despite I think being in the playoff places which ultimately makes Rooney's job a job of you've got to get promoted to be a success Um, and they go to Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough who are banging form now uh, four in a row I think their last one was 4-0 against Sunderland a great win for them but uh, yeah two old United teammates and close mates head-to-head
2: yeah that does make that game a lot more interesting Um, For me personally, anyway, before I I predict a um, Borough win there, they seem to, like you say, turn the corner a bit. And they're just sometimes, you know, like the narrative of of Rooney getting appointed and and Eustace getting sacked. And it's a bit like sometimes in football that can kind of work against you. And as soon as something negative happens, like it might get all a bit much. So I wonder if Borough win that game sort of 2-3-0 and it's all of a sudden... Booney's under pressure already. I know it sounds stupid, yeah. but just so sometimes they make it one for their own back. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Like I think when was it was it Benitez when he went to Everton because of because of the Liverpool links? And when Bruce went to was it Birmingham or when he went to Villa because of the, those links and the same with Newcastle and the Sunderland links. So it's like you just feel like sometimes these clubs just don't make it easy easy for themselves and yeah, I'll predict a Borough win there, five wins in a row. Yeah, you're right.
1: It becomes a bit of a poison chalice, doesn't it? Everyone's sort of hoping that Birmingham sort of fall apart because no one can understand the sacking. But forget Birmingham, forget Rooney, forget Eustace. You know who John Eustace sacking was the worst news for, in my opinion, is Gary Rowett at Millwall because he's just been sacked. And sometimes in the Championship, I think, managers get sacked because the owners are waiting around. They're sort of half happy, but they're thinking, if my man becomes available... To snap up, you're gone and I'm bringing him in. So, a, you... a little lower exclusive here or a prediction is I think John Eustace will make his way to the den. Did you not?
2: Did well, I listened to Rowett on Talk Sport? I think it was yesterday or this morning. And since you've been set, yeah. And, and what was he saying? He, he basically said it was mutual mutual agreement. And I know these mutual agreements get dressed up a little bit so that you get a payoff, etc. But it does seem to be. A complete mutual agreement between the clubs, but I wonder if you are right in that Eustace got sacked and then the board have gone to Rowett and said, "Do you think it's time?" And he's gone, "Yeah." Do you know what I mean? It's not like an out and out. Right, you're out of a job. So, um you
1: but know, you... Millwall were th- Millwall were three points off the playoffs. Millwall.
2: But have Sheffield Wednesday appointed that fella yet? Yeah.
1: What was his name? Murph. We R- never heard of him. Roll, Danny Roll. Rol. Rol. Oh, Rol, Yeah.
2: He's got someone coming in
0: with him to join him at Sheffield Wednesday. Um,
1: someone that knows what they're doing.
0: Yeah, it is someone who I thought uh, that makes sense that they're bringing him in, actually, to help him. Well, Chris Powell, the England coach, the ex-England oh, yeah. coach, is going to go in and support him. That's who it was. Nice. Well, um, he's got
1: currently a championship experience. He was manager at Huddersfield. Charlton as well, I think they might have been in the championship at, at the time. So maybe as a partnership. To be fair, I've never heard of this role. So maybe he's good. Apparently, he's come across quite well in the interviews, um just looking through Owl's Twitter. So let's see. Can't be much worse than the last guy.
0: No, absolutely not. Um yeah, so intriguing fixture there, guys. I think I think Rooney, I think he is doomed in that job. I really hope he's not, because obviously, as a United fan, I, I do love Wazza, but Brits like an underdog, don't they? They don't like Lampard, Gerard, Rooney's, those people just getting jobs off the fact their names. You've got people like my dad who's a Man City fan and doesn't really follow too much more football calling me up to tell me what Wayne Rooney's win percentage was at DC United like people <laughs> like to hate don't they so I think them sacking a young up-and-coming manager and bringing like big ball Rooney in. I think they'll like people are going to be on him straight away at the first sign of adversity and that could start at Middlesbrough quite easily so I, I really don't give Rooney too much hope there
2: Yeah, and did you see, just before we move on, Snorker, did you see that Eddie Hearn stick to football stuff where he said that Rooney fancies a boxing match against Jake Paul? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Rooney...
0: I'd go to that. He needs a different PR team, though. He got laid out by Phil Bardsley, and that was was put online. Then he was caught getting bloody mooned and farted on in a hotel, Mooney Rooney on Twitter. (laughs) He's got to
2: stop doing these things. He's got a stop.
1: Not expected Mooney Rooney to make an appearance. Yeah, the I think Laura, and...
2: I think we've got the title for the episode. <laughs> yeah. Baza, if you're listening, top bloke, good luck at Birmingham.
0: Uh Laurie, you right. just Yeah, we'll move on. Um we just touched on Millwall there. Uh, obviously looking for a new manager. They're down in 15th, but a couple wins there, right in amongst it. They go to third place, Preston. Preston have lost three in a row now. So Millwall might be looking at that as uh, players trying to impress a potential new manager, whoever that may be, if it's Eustace and going and getting a result at Preston. Um, And then Laurie, just want to get your opinion on seventh place Norwich hosting fifth place Leeds, please.
1: Well, you know what the relevance of that game is, don't you? Not only is it fifth v seventh, it's the Daniel Farker derby. It is. Um, those with any kind of football memory will know that Daniel Farker guided Norwich to two championship titles. And I just fully trust him. I think he'll be right up for that game. Willie Notno's back, by the way, as well, who obviously is a, an Italian international and far too good for the level. We've been in good form. We're favourites. The bookies generally know what they're talking about when you look at like Norwich two to one at home. They wouldn't offer that unless they were pretty sure that Leeds are going to turn up and do a job. So, Norwich are a good side, but I don't think Wagner's the same manager as he once was. I don't think Norwich will be in the playoffs this year, albeit a decentest championship team. But I think Leeds go there and make a statement. And um, I'm going 3-0 to the uh, the Super Whites. What do you think about that game, by the way, as a neutral?
0: I, uh, to be honest, oh, go on. I, I, just, I was just going to say, I, I seem to fancy Leeds every time now. I think... The bookies still don't seem to quite get their odds right either. They always seem to like be in and around evens or if they're away, sometimes above. And I just think to myself, it's almost like they're not quite buying into the narrative that his forms picking up and they're picking up points on a quite consistent basis. So, um, yeah,
1: and I've seen Norwich get was it Plymouth who absolutely span them as well? So, yeah, yeah. And what I will say is as well, which might raise some eyebrows, obviously I loved Marcelo Bielsa and his time with us, particularly in the championship as well, was brilliant. But I just trust Leeds more. And I think back to the championship season, even the year we won it, every single game, I didn't know what was going to happen. You remember what it was like. It was all out gung ho, kind of like basketball football. And at any point you knew that it could end up seven on one at the back because of the way we played. I just trust that sort of platform that Daniel Farker builds the football from more. And going to Norwich away under Bielsa, I thought, you know, we could win that 5-0 or lose 5-0. Tomorrow, i just see us winning. And if they win, we ain't going to get battered. It, they'll have to play very, very well to do so. And I'm not sure that they're quite good enough to do it. But um, that's a big game for us. And like Farker said, the pace at the top's a little bit relentless at the moment. Ipswich and Leicester just don't let up. So we're going to have to start stringing some results together.
2: Yeah, Laura, you're always very well-spoken and very convincing when you talk about Leeds, but I think Jonathan Rowe will bag his seventh goal of the Championship season, (laughs) and I think they win 1-0. Fair play, Tico. They're in horrendous
0: form, actually, Norwich. Drew with Coventry, lost to Swansea, lost to Plymouth, lost to Leicester, beat Stoke, lost to Rotherham. Yeah, Leeds, convincingly. right, boys, we'll move on to League One. So we speak about Portsmouth and it's just wins in a row every time, but five in a row in the league, they host 20th place, Carlisle. So fully expecting Portsmouth win there. Tasty looking game and we'll come back to it as well when we move on to the treble. Second place, Oxford versus seventh place, Blackpool. Uh, Fourth place, Peterborough take on eighth place, Wickham, which looks a decent tie. And then third place, Barnsley go to Leighton Orient. But um, yeah, we will come back to the Oxford fixture Uh, when we move on to the treble and then league two uh, first place Stockport they've now won seven in a row they're starting to almost look a bit inevitable Stockport Um, they host 18th place Grimsby Uh, seventh place Gillingham uh, go uh, host second place Notts County I saw Notts County lost 4-1 to Mansfield um, which looked like a bit of a shocker result for them but I suppose that can happen in league two Um, and Mansfield who are in third they take on Forest Green in 23rd which for anyone's money, would look like an absolute home banker. But Forrest Green in 23rd place went and tonked Colchester
1: 5-0 last weekend. So uh, yeah. that just sums up League 2. I'll just say about that Notts-Mansfield game. Um, I think Mansfield were unbeaten, by the way. They're only a point behind Notts County now and they're in third. But God, Notts County fans... Jesus Christ. You've just you've come up for a magnificent season playing brilliant football with great players and a good young manager in the National League. They you didn't were sat boo. top of the league. What do you say? They didn't boo, did they? Honestly, Notts County Twitter, there's a couple of like sort of big Notts County fans that are quite prominent in like um the EFL Twitter game, if you like. So and I follow a few of them. And they were like calling, for they were like, when is it going to change? We conceded four in this game and three in this game. And you're thinking, you've just got promoted and you're top of the league. If you need to make change, what about every other team in the league? Settle down. You're second in the league after getting promoted. You're above Wrexham, you who, know- by the way, won the league last season. You haven't got any God-given right to go straight back up. And if you do, it'd be an amazing achievement. And at the moment, you're second. You were top. So yeah. you settle down. Yeah. Do you know what? I've, I was
2: just having a look at the league table then. I've got. I think League Two is the best league in the AFL at the minute by by a mile. There's four points separating first from seventh. You've got Knox County, who got promoted, obviously in second. They've scored 28 goals in 13 games, but they've conceded 25 in 13, which I guess is what the Twitter backlash is about. Then you've got What's Re- Wrexham, Tomé? No, Re- Wrexham are fifth, and they've scored 27 goals and conceded 25. So. It's like it's an absolutely insane league. We talking, I don't know if you mentioned. I switched off when you were talking then, Murph, but I don't know if you mentioned the Wrexham, um, Salford game.
0: Next on my list, actually, eleventh place Bradford host fifth place Wrexham, but Bradford have beaten Swindon and Wimbledon, who are sixth and eighth recently. So I'm looking forward to see who you pick for the treble, Tomo.
2: Yeah, um, well, well, obviously, the, the reason why I'm going to pick Wrexham is because. They've, they're just coming off an absolute massive win against Salford, 2 0 down in the first 30 minutes, and they go and win 3 2. And that's just like, there's something about Wrexham. I've been watching a documentary recently, so I've got a bit of documentary bias, like I did with the uh, Burnley documentary. Um, but there's something about Wrexham that's just special and, and, um, yeah, so I'm definitely going them against Bradford. I think are Bradford. Have they appointed a manager yet? Uh, yeah,
1: sure Kevin have McDonald. Kevin McDonald is the. I think we said last. I don't know if he's full time. He was their centre mid, kind of old boy, turning. Um, he's there at the moment. Whether he's going to keep it, I don't know. But you're right about League Two is a golden league at the minute. It's so competitive, and the g- good thing about it is there's about ten teams in that league that think they should be going up automatically. Yeah. I think when you're in a league where three go up automatically and there's a playoffs, everyone's thinking, we are have a go, we are have a go. And you've got people like Steve Bruce being linked to Gillingham. You've got Mark Hughes who can't keep a job at 11th place Bradford. You've got Salford who for a long time people were saying, ah, oh, how can we compete with Neville and the class of 92 money? I mean, they're 15th. They're nowhere near it. And they've got Matt Smith up front, who's had a really good career in like the championship. He used to play for Leeds and lots of good teams. So yeah, great league. And um, but do you remember what I said about Stockport last time? Their manager never not gets promoted. Uh, other than the last season where they lost in the playoffs, Dave Channeler, every single year, whether it's at AFC filed, whether it's at Harlepool, whether it's at Stockport, always gets promoted. I think they'll win that league at a canter now, to be honest with you.
2: And and can we just add, they've got the best player in the league in Louis Barry. So yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and far, they've got probably. Nick Powell. And they've got Paddy Madden, ex yobel legend. Good side.
2: Um, Kevin
0: McDonald odds are on now, Loro after the victories picked up, and he is going to be in charge for the game at the weekend against Wrexham, where apparently there's over twenty two
1: thousand tickets sold for that in a League Two game. So, how good is that for the English football pyramid? Twenty two thousand at a League Two game, the fourth tier in our country. How good is that? Amazing. Right. I actually saw like a league table of the attendances. Um, in League Two the other day and I think Bradford were top because obviously the Valley Parade's big but there's a big att- like Notts County they get like 15,000 in there sometimes Wrexham get 10,000 every week Swindon have got a big you know probably 8,000 every week even AFC Wimbledon I think we're getting like 7,000 every week great to see those sort of attendances in League Two
0: yeah amazing um, we just talked there about um, managerial change there Laurie MK Don's not one in the league since uh, August um, Graham Alexander's left the job there, and they've brought in Gateshead's
1: management from non-league, just a bit on them. Yeah, well, Mike Williamson it is, I might remember him, I think he was like an ex-Newcastle defender, Anyway, he popped up at Gateshead, I don't know if it was last season he took over, but obviously they are in Yeovil's league last year, and to be fair, we were atrocious, but I watched us go up to Gatesheads on the um, NFL streaming website, which is legal you pay for, So I wasn't doing anything wrong. But I watched the game and I haven't seen a National League side play like that in a long time. And they have sort of um, conjured up this reputation of being the best footballing side in the National League. And then when you couple that with a a place like MK Dons, who are synonymous with teams that like playing good, expansive attacking football. um, Obviously, previously previously they've had the likes of Russell Martin. Carl Robinson was there for a long time. When they appointed Graham Alexander, I think there was a bit of a... we don't really want to win scrappy one 0s every week. And I don't think he's done an appalling job because it's a tough league, but they are 16th. And I think they've just taken their um, chance here to get rid of him and bring in someone that will try and play that e- expansive type football and um, very big, big on football psychology, Mike Williamson. He talks a lot about, don't worry about what goes on on the pitch, tries to find out a lot about his players and what makes them tick and all that sort of thing. Very interesting guy. If you listen to him in interviews, so be interesting to see how he gets on. Um, but a really good appointment for MK Dons, I think that could be. And a disappointing one for Gateshead because they were playing some unbelievable stuff and they stuffed Yeovil uh, 4-0, I think it was, up at their stadium last year, up at the top of the country. And uh, yeah, Yeovil have actually just been drawn against Gateshead in the next round of the FA Cup. So now they're Mike williamson That makes it a little bit of a more winnable tie for us, I suppose.
0: Good stuff. Um, we will move on to Yeovil, actually, Loro. So... Um, I didn't play footy at the weekend and came along with you, um, watched them beat Southend in the FA Cup. I've obviously not watched them in a while now. Um, I was so impressed with them and the side. And we just looked like we were completely it, easily level pegging with a, a decent National League side, if not much better, which given the scoreline, you could say we were. Um and then just look at ahead as well, travel to Worthing on Saturday, which you'll go into, which is fifth place versus obviously Yeovil from now in first, but must be buzzing with how the Glovers are at the minute.
1: Yeah, top of the league, joint top scorers in the league. The South End game that you came to in the FA Cup the other day, we showed a different aspect to us. It was the first game of the season probably where we conceded possession. We showed a little bit more of a resilience and a willingness to keep a clean sheet and pay respect to an opponent that have got um harry cardwell up front who i think is the third top goal scorer in the national league scores for fun um our defense of morgan williams and jake Wenell just had him in his pocket the whole game and we played perfect counter-attack in football um one goal near the start of the game one goal near the end a bit of magic from jordan young and we've won 2-0 and we're in the hat against a very good south nc team who i know are waiting for their embargo to be lifted to sign players and i think they only had three on the bench but their starting 11 is very very good and without the points deduction, they'd be in the playoffs in the league above. So that shows the sort of standard that Yeovil are at at the minute. And um, yeah, I mean, moving on to Worthing at the weekend, probably the most difficult away fixture of the season, because I think the top three teams in the National League South are Yeovil, Torquay and Worthing. And the other aspect to it is that they've got an artificial pitch. Now, Yeovil have played something like 13 games this season, all competition, maybe 15. We've only lost two. And both of those losses have come on artificial pitches against probably, well, definitely less sides than Um So we've got a better goalkeeper now. We've signed Michael Smith at right-back. We're a different team. We've won every single game that I can remember in recent history, the last probably six weeks. So we're going into it full of confidence. If we win that, we've got two very winnable games at home in the next week. Local derby against Weymouth on Tuesday and then on to, uh, I think it's Braintree on Saturday. So huge, huge game. Probably one of, if not the only game this season where I'd say I'd probably be happy with a point because a very good side at home on an artificial pitch that they're used to and just stemming that flow of losses on those pitches. But um, I'm going to Worthing as well. Three hours trip down to the coast. So Again, I can report back, but um, big game against a difficult team.
0: Looking um, forward to hearing about it on Monday. Tomo, are you going to come to the Weymouth
2: game on Tuesday? It's your birthday, isn't it? Yeah, I'll be there. Uh, and I'm looking forward to um, hearing all about or or seeing in person, finally, um, exactly how well we do. But obviously, that game, I'll just had a look there. Weymouth are like 19th in the league. So we'll, we'll absolutely batter them.
0: I'll
1: be those, see. Always get up for it. Just At a home. quick one, Murph. Yeah. Yep. We haven't really, I know we haven't really got a dog in the race, but we don't touch on the National League that much. But I will right. just point out that Chesterfield are top of the league with 38 points after 15 games in the National League, six more than at the same stage as last season that Wrexham had. And they went on to get some sort of record points of over 110. And second place, Barnet on 35 points. And they're ahead of Wrexham's tally from our season at this stage as well. So another really competitive league. It feels like all of the leagues are very, very good this year. And, um, yeah, I'm keeping my eye on that because I've got a few um, associations with football clubs that I some I want to see do well and others maybe not so well. I won't name names. Um, but let's just say I hope we get York in the FA Cup later on this year.
0: Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, good point, actually. I think we need to start having a little bit more coverage of that National League because that's a top league and um, being a bit bullish, you're overly going to be back in it next year. So uh, exactly. we start covering it now ahead of better coverage next year boys we'll finish up with the treble then so um i'll go first i touched on it earlier um i'm going to go oxford at home to blackpool um second v seventh i know that blackpool um are in some decent form and and up there in regards to the table but oxford great side but just above evens or get them at evens i think that's unbelievable odds for a a team that's at home in second place so i'm going to go for oxford and tomo i think you alluded to your selection
2: yeah, Wrexham. I know they're away from home, and I know we've talked about their they've conceded a lot of goals, but um, just something special going on to that club at the minute. They score loads of goals. Um, Bradford still obviously got their caretaker manager who's a 34 year old midfielder. Um, so yeah, Wrexham, and it's good odds seven to five. So yeah,
1: great odds. Uh, and Loro? Yeah, there's something special going on at Wrexham at the minute. It might have something to do with the injection of cash from a Hollywood megastar and Netflix series. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what was I going to say? I've gone Bolton at home to Northampton, just taking all of the thought out of it. Just I can't see a world where we're looking at a bet slip on Saturday evening and Bolton haven't beaten Northampton at home. So if we can't win that one, then might as well pack up and go.
0: Yeah, well, it looks an absolute banker on paper, but rather impressively it's about eight to one so 10 pound returns 90 pounds so let's get the treble off to a uh off to a win after a couple of weeks of uh of losing but yeah so just to recap oxford home to blackpool wrexham away at bradford and bolton at home to northampton is this week's treble boys that's all we got time for uh we've will... Back on Monday, uh, reflect on all the the action that we've just discussed there, uh, and look ahead to the European action. But great to be back, boys, and speech also. soon.
2: Cheers, boys. Cheers. Take care. Oh!